1: as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God to be holy meaning to be set apart set apart from the world to be acceptable meaning to be well pleasing to the Lord which is your reasonable service in other words it's the smartest and the most logical thing you could do considering all that God has done for you it is your reasonable service considering that all God has done for you he died on the cross for you and not only that he's given you eternal life eternal life
0: Many people struggle with surrender. Why would you want to die to yourself, giving up your own desires to serve the will of God? It doesn't make much sense from a human perspective, but as Pastor Eddie explains to us in today's message, when you consider what God has done for you, giving His only Son to die for your sin, then sending His Holy Spirit to fill and equip you, surrendering to Him, is the only reasonable response. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Romans chapter 12 with today's edition of Running the Race.
1: Romans chapter 12, verse 3. We'll read from verse 3 to verse 8. Paul writes, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function." So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them in prophecy, let us prophesy in portion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberty He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And we'll just pause there. That's our passage for this morning. Now Paul will apply all the doctrinal teachings that he's given us in the first 11 chapters into the practical. Because we've been justified by faith, we now apply the practical teachings that he's going to give us from chapters 12 to 16. And we need to apply this to our daily lives. And so what what Paul is saying, now that you know all these things doctrinally, here's the practical side of Christian living. And so let's look at verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, therefore, he's referring to the first 11 chapters, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, uh, in other words, in view of the fact that God has been merciful to us, And so here, we now begin to practice the practical things in service that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, and that is to Offer up our lives completely to God. When we surrender our lives to God, the so Lord, I surrender it all to you. My whole life, I surrendered it to you. And so we're to offer up our lives completely to God, just as just as Christ has completely offered up his life for us. And he's done that for us at the cross. And so to offer up our life is to offer up our total person, your your, your physical body, your mind, your will, all to him and you can't offer up your life to god and then dictate and how you want to live your life and how often we do that well you know you have the liberty you have the freedom Uh, but you know if i surrender my life lord this is my life i surrender it to you what is your will for my life i can't dictate lord i want to do this Uh, let me live my life and then we'll get to what you want to do surrendering your life to god because if that be the case then you are not a living sacrifice. You're one of those sacrifices that like to crawl off the altar of God. Surrendering your life completely to Him is surrendering all. And he says that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. To be holy, meaning to be set apart, set apart from the world. To be acceptable, meaning to be well-pleasing to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it's the smartest and the most logical thing you could do, considering all that God has done for you. It is your reasonable service. Considering that all God has done for you, he died on the cross for you, and not only that, he's given you eternal life eternal life and so he goes on in verse two he says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and that is not to be a conformers but to be transformers i'm not talking about those fictional characters of transform to become you know to not be conformed but transformed not to conform to the pattern of this world what does that mean uh we cannot buy a car, or we cannot drive. No, it just means in the pattern of the world, the world system, in its morals. We can't imitate in the world sin. So that's the pattern of the world. We're to be conformers, not transformers. And he said that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want... To know God's good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life, you must first do his will. We usually don't do topicals, but we did a little study on that, God's will, because that's the common question what we ask. What is God's will for my life? Well, first, God's perfect will is for you to repent and come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But what is God's will now that you continue to walk? First, you must do his will. And we see that in the life of Christ. What did Jesus do? He, When he came here doing his earthly ministry, he said, not my will, but your will be done. That was his prayer to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that just about hours he would be arrested and crucified. He said, I'm not here to testify of himself. I'm here to testify of the Father. Not only was his own personal prayer to, to the Father that it was his will, not my will, he also taught us how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you want to know the perfect will for your life, Die to your desires, die to your will, surrender it to God, do his will first, and then you'll find your will. And so that brings us to our next passage this morning, verses three, to, uh, verses 3 to 8. Paul is going to address the issue regarding spiritual gifts and our place in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts and our place in the body of Christ. Now before we begin, I think it's uh, necessary to get rid of the elephant in the room. Because when we always think about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you know, we have, we have two extremes in, in the church today. Because there are many denominations in Christendom, um, and how they uh, view, how they teach, how they practice, and what their belief is concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the works of the Holy Spirit, anything that has to do with the Holy Spirit, there's two extremes. On one side, You'll have a group that say, yes, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. I want the gifts. I want the spiritual gifts, you know, and they're all concerned about the gifts, and that's all they care about. They don't care about doctrine. They don't care about theology. They don't care about good, sound doctrine of the scriptures. All they care is that I want to be blessed. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. And then they start getting into unbiblical practices, things that are not even listed in the Bible, and it becomes dangerous you mentioned the Holy Spirit, say, so, yeah, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to dance. I want to, I want to feel the goosebumps. They go as far uh, as teaching uh, a certain group that I was raised up in, and still today, as a matter of fact, I had someone question me about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. They they teach that, hey, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. I was taught that. So anybody who speaks in tongues, if you don't, okay, you're not saved. Does that really make sense? It's not even biblical. And that's the problem when we don't understand scripture. And what happened is you have one extreme that they loved everything about the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. But what did Jesus say when he was going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit? In John chapter 15, verse 26, he says, But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will testify of Christ. And then in chapter 16 of John, he, he, he paraphrases, says the same thing. He's going to testify of me. He's not going to testify of himself. When Jesus was here during his earthly ministry, what did he say? I'm not here to testify of myself. He had to testify of the Father. Now he's in heaven. Who's going to testify of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. And so if you get a church that's Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, that's a dangerous church because it's all about Jesus the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring the attention, and the glory to Jesus Christ. Now, you have people on the other side that are, because of you know their experiences that they have seen or witnessed or heard, the mention of the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit makes the the hearers of the back of their neck stand. And they don't want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit because of what they know, of what this Work of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they want nothing to do it because it's weird. And the reality is there is a lot of weird, unbiblical practices in the church today. And so you get things like slain in the spirit. You ever see when somebody lay hands and all of a sudden a person falls? That's not in the Bible. Those are practices that are not in the Bible. Spirit of laughter. You know, everybody in the church, I've been to a church, everybody started laughing. And you didn't laugh, you didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so they have all these practices to some point throughout the history of the church. and I mean, during the 1700s or the 1600s, there were groups barking like a dog. It's crazy. Unbiblical practices that all in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so when people hear the word Holy Spirit, you get people from one extreme so far that they also have a, strong, a wrong view about the work of the Holy Spirit today. They'll say, no, the work of the Holy Spirit was only for the early church, the day of Pentecost, and that was it. Wrong. The Holy Spirit was still working today. You are proof, living proof, that the Holy Spirit is still working today. Even after the day of Pentecost, you remember um, Barnabas and Paul, they were in Iconium. In Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And God is still doing work. He's still healing people today. People are sick in the hospital. They can't figure, why all of a sudden I don't see the tumor anymore? Doctors don't understand. It's God. So God is still. So they go to one extreme. And so they see someone jumping around and, and doing all these things, and you find it, it's not in the scripture. I can relate because I came from that background. I came from a church where every day was something weird. When I first started going to the church as a little kid, seven, eight years old, and there was no children's church or Sunday school it was on Sunday morning at night, oh, I was scared. Because when I go to this church, I see people dancing uncontrollably, knocking down chairs and people, and I say, I don't want to go to church, Daddy, please. I don't know what's going on. But here's the thing. As I grew older, I got used to it. You know, you had to go to church because your parents took you, and you couldn't stay home. It wasn't until I started to read the Bible for myself. Nowhere in Scripture have I found anyone in the Bible, nowhere from Genesis to Revelation, found anybody to do these things, to practice those things. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We want to be like Christ, live like Christ. Anywhere in those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did you read? And the disciples formed a circle because Jesus was in the spirit. He was dancing uncontrollably. No. So you see, you don't even find the practice in the Bible, and that's as far as it went. And so we need to clear these things in the room. If it's not in the Bible and Jesus didn't do it, don't do it. You would think if it meant anything to God that he would include it somewhere in the Bible for you. But then it goes out of control. We're going to get to that because some people are so worried about the gifts. And most of the most common one is the speaking in tongues. And that's something that's like all over the place in the churches today. There's different views about it. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, he says, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yo, all, he's from the south. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words in my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. And he goes on, you read Corinthians, you'll find out someone's going to speak in tongues. There better be an interpreter. The tongues is not for the church. You know, it's not just for you. It's between you and the Lord if you want to speak in tongues. I have people come to me and say, Why are you not speaking in tongues? Well, show me a scripture that it's okay to have it in every service. And if it is if there is one, there better be an interpreter, because it's not an interpreter, the person that's speaking in tongues. We're gonna to have to tell you to leave with love. Okay? So these are practices that are all over the church. So we need to get rid of this this elephant out of the room because all these things, the things are done in the name of the Holy Spirit, and say all oh, are spiritual, because people love to be spiritual. They love the goosebumps. And they're concerned about speaking in tongues on a Sunday. But meanwhile, that same tongue, they don't use it to glorify God from Monday to Saturday. They gossip. They lie. They speak negative about a brother and sister in Christ. Use your tongue to glorify God. Worry about that. And they're concerned about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they're also not concerned. You know, they they disregard the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This is the evidence that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That last word, self-control, proves that those that move in the flesh... And practice things that are not biblical is out of control. If it's, I heard people say, well, I couldn't control myself, brother. I was in the spirit. I'm sorry I knocked you down, you know. <laughs> I'm looking at here, self-control. The Holy Spirit cannot contradict itself. Self-control. And so this is why this is so important for us to understand the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Worry about the fruits of the Spirit rather than feeling goosebumps and doing some crazy things that are not biblical. Let's see what Paul has to say in our text this morning. Verse 3, let's look at verse 3. He writes, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Paul never forgets the, everything that has happened in his life was all by the grace of God. He said, through the grace given to me. I've persecuted a church, but by the love and the grace of God, now my name is no longer Saul of Tarsus. My name is Paul the Apostle. And he does this humbly by saying, by the grace given to me. Now, the word grace here in the Greek is charis, charis. Look down at verse six, the first sentence, having then gifts differing according to the grace. The word grace is charis. The word gifts in the Greek is charismata. All have this, they all come from the same root word, charis, charisma. We get the word charisma. Now, scripturally, there is charisma in that the Holy Spirit itself, the Holy Spirit itself moves with charisma. This is when the flesh comes in. Charismania, or I would say charismaniacs, is when we do things in the flesh. And that's the problem. When we include the flesh with the work of the Holy Spirit, it becomes dangerous. And you're freaking people out. You're not really telling, bringing people to the Lord, are you? You know, it was like a circus every time I went to church when I was a kid. And the reason why I say that because it's because a lot of people were hurt. A lot of people were hurt with this. You know, can you imagine, there were people that were told that you were not saved if you didn't speak in tongues or you didn't have the gift. And it was sad that some people would leave, say, well, I guess God doesn't love me because I did everything I could. I thought if I believe, which is all you need, right? And people just add religion and just put a burden on people where it just drives people away from the Lord rather than bring them to Christ. And that's why when it comes to these things, you know, I'm a little bit bold, only because I myself was hurt by that. And I saw a lot of people were hurt in the church growing up with that. Anyway, the gifts we see that it comes from the same root word, gifts and gifts. So we can look at these gifts that he's going to talk about uh, serving God with spiritual gifts as grace gifts. These gifts that are given by God has been given to us freely and sovereignly by God and God alone, and they operate sovereignly by God. It has nothing to do with you. You see, each and every one of us has a gift. He said, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly. Now, we need to think of soberly. And so the, the, the universal tendency that we have in the human race is to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Do we not? Every, that's a little bit each and every one of us that we look in the mirror in the morning and say, by God, I'm so handsome. Boy, God, am I so beautiful. You look in the mirror and say, oh, yeah, this outfit looks good on me. You know, we, we, we always compliment. We say, you, think I'm, you look at the mirror and say, I'm fabulous. And, and you, you know, you do. You know, and, and some people do it more than others. They got to share it on Facebook and all. But anyway, like, I'm so gifted. I'm so gifted. You know, that kind of thing, you know. Well, what Paul is saying is don't think you are better than you really are. Don't think that you got it all together and that you're God's gift to man and you're God's gift to himself. You know, because when you think of yourself highly than you ought to, you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself, and that's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. Paul writes to the church of Galatians, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he, defe- he deceives himself. What, what did Paul start it out with the first two verses? You know, he, he already told us not to be conformed to the world, but by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We came to Christ. We're no longer conformed to the world. We're being transformed with renewing the, the mind. Because if you're in the world, you're going to think highly of yourself. You're going to be prideful. And if you're in the world that all the advertisement, I mean, this country spends billions of, billions of dollars on plastic surgery and all kinds of things to make us look more than what we ought to be. And all these little uh, little. Programs and all these little things that they sell to make yourself look good, feel great, all because that's what people want rather than working in the inside. And so, if we have been transformed by the renewing of our mind, uh, then we should be humbled here. We are to think soberly. Think soberly. To think soberly is to have the right mind, a sound mind, to be honest in our evaluation of ourselves. You need to be honest. And so, according to the Bible, we're nothing. Now, if you went home today, just right now, end of service, you'd probably say to yourself, wow, that was an encouraging, Pastor Eddie. What did you learn in the church today? I learned I was nothing. (laughs) No, as much as we think soberly, honestly, there's a flip side to that. But you see, if we think of ourselves by ourselves, we are nothing. But in Christ, we are something. First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he said, Behold, what matter of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. So that's not enough. You children of God did more. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. How glorious is Jesus Christ? Guess what? There's going to come a time when we stand before him in glory. We're going to be just like him, but we shall see him as he is. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, number one. Number two, a royal priesthood. Number three, a holy nation. Number four, his own special people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, saints, you are something. But we are something in Christ. Apart from Christ you are nothing now there are some who are in Christ that still want to be in Christ but are not thinking soberly of themselves and guess what you deceive yourself
0: we're so glad you joined us today for running the race pastor Eddie Pinero has been walking through the book of Romans with us teaching us the truth and values found in its pages As we continue to learn along with the recipients of Paul's letter, we'll find that the gospel message is present and practical for everyday life. If you've been touched by today's teaching and would like to listen again, you can find it on runningtheraceradio.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to the Running the Race podcast. When you do, you'll have access to the latest teachings as soon as they're made available. You can also connect with us on social media. Like our Facebook page to join the conversation and add some encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time with you today comes to an end, we'd like to take a moment and tell you how you can partner with us here at Running the Race. With more, here's Tracy.
2: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that running the race is missionary work? It is! please prayerfully consider financially supporting Running the Race. Go to RunningTheRaceradio.com and click on the Give option in the main menu.
0: Thanks, Tracy. That website one more time is RunningTheRaceradio.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Join us again for another insightful edition of Running the Race.